Who's going to be the Republican or Democratic presidential nominee in 2024? The real answer should be, who cares? But of course, that's not the case, so I'll talk about it on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Look, if you want to get a great educational website, go to McClanahanAcademy.com, McClanahanAcademy.com. Free to enroll, get the free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. And if you purchase a class or 20 there, you keep this podcast free of charge. If you like the podcast, you're going to love McClanahan Academy. So go on over to McClanahan Academy, enroll free of charge, get that free class, and then purchase a class or two or 10 or 20 and help support this show. Also, you can support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. You can click on the support tab there. You can throw a few pennies my way. Or you can go to anchor.fm. You can subscribe there. And of course, as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review where you can. That's a great way to help. Also, comment on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube. And click on that little heart button under the video, the super thanks button. You can throw a few pennies my way that way. All these are great ways to support the show and get more ears and eyes on the program. And send me those show requests. I do appreciate seeing and reading what you want to hear. All right. Well, I opened the program talking about who's going to be the nominee for the 2024 Democrats or Republicans. And the answer really should be who cares. But of course, we live in the age of the imperial presidency. We know it's not the case. We know the president has vast unconstitutional powers now. But so we're talking about who's going to run for president two years from now. I mean, or a little over a year now, I guess, as I'm recording this. And we know that um, you know November is just around the corner. It doesn't feel like it, but it is. We're almost already into spring and fall is going to be just around the corner then. Um, so uh, we know that we're about a year, a little over about a year and a half out from the election. And it's really going to start ramping up, unfortunately. Uh, And that's because we have such a laser beam focus on the presidency. Because we know we have a president that can legislate with a pen and a phone. And that was, the presidency was never designed to do that. If you've read Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America or The Founding Father's Guide to the Constitution, both books I wrote uh, several years ago now, The Founding Father's Guide to the Constitution in 2012 and nine presidents in 2016. But look, that Founding Fathers Guide to the Constitution, I still stand by it. It's over a decade old, but nothing's changed. And when I was doing uh, the publicity for that book, I was asked, you know, how many presidents should be impeached? And of course, almost all of them in the last 100 years. And so this then becomes the problem. We have men who are going to, and and women, I'm going to talk about the Democrats in a minute, because I think the Democrats have a slam dunk candidate if they want to choose this person. But we have men and women who are going to run, who are going to seek this office. We know Nikki Haley has already thrown her hat into the ring. We know Donald Trump is seeking the nomination. We know Ron DeSantis is seeking the nomination. There's no question about it on the Republican side. On the Democrat side, of course, Joe Biden has said he's going to... uh, to seek re-election, but we also know that Kamala Harris would certainly want the position that officially have the position. We know that she's probably doing a lot behind the scenes. Um, and of course, she would be a disaster. We also know that Gavin Newsom would, I'm sure, love to have the opportunity to uh, 
run for president. We know DeSantis and Newsom are kind of setting themselves up that maybe in 2028 or maybe in 2024. But certainly, if Joe Biden decides to run again and gets the nomination, Newsom's going to have to wait till 2028. And at that point, perhaps you know Ron DeSantis uh, would run. I, I, and I'll give my thoughts on the Republicans and handicapping all of that and how that's going to work out. But, and I've said some things about this before on the show, but there was a new article out about the Democrats, so I thought I'd put it in there. But we know that Obama said when he was president, he has a pen and a phone. And of course, he can legislate from the executive branch. We know that Donald Trump did the exact same thing when he came into office. We know Joe Biden did the exact same thing when he came into office. So what we have now are dueling executive orders. Every four years, if we get a new president, we have new executive orders. You can't really legislate effectively that way. You can't have a government that runs effectively that way, and it becomes hyper-partisan at that point. And that wasn't the design of the executive branch. In fact, as I said, it should be who cares. If we followed the executive branch the way that the founding generation intended it to be used, the powers of the executive branch, well, then the president would almost be irrelevant. And that would be beautiful. The president really should be irrelevant. We shouldn't really worry about who's in the executive office except for foreign policy. Now, of course, that's a big issue. But we shouldn't be looking at the president to solve the climate crisis, the so-called climate crisis, the health care crisis, the uh, pick your crisis, the economic crisis, the retirement crisis, whatever it is. The president doesn't do that. And the president standing there saying, in this particular case, Joe Biden, saying he's going to veto all this legislation is... An, an egregious abuse of power by the presidency. Now, we know that even in the founding generation, there were those that wanted the president to have a veto because they were worried about excesses coming out of the legislature. But that's not why the president vetoes legislation anymore. It's all partisan. There isn't any consideration for the constitutionality of bills. Of course, Congress doesn't even debate that either. When Nancy Pelosi was asked about Obamacare several years ago, almost a decade ago now, her response was, of course it's constitutional because we say it is. Well, that's exactly what Jefferson said the real problem is with the federal system that we had set up. If the general government has complete supervisory uh, control over their own authority and powers, well, there's no real check on their power. And so he wanted to have, of course, the states have that kind of role. And if you've taken Reading Thomas Jefferson, I talk about that at McClanahan Academy. It's a great course, Reading Thomas Jefferson. There's going to be other great courses this year at McClanahan Academy, by the way. You're going to need to get those classes. And so we have a, a situation where the president is completely off the rails. The president is completely beyond the powers of the presidency. You're completely beyond what you know, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams even. All of the founding generation. And you know, Jefferson really set the stage for about 60 years of American presidential history, more than George Washington did. But of course, Jefferson did refer back to Washington, the two-term limit. And, uh, but you know, certainly, uh, we've gone beyond that now. And that all started with Lincoln. Uh, we know that Andrew Jackson abused power, but so did George Washington. I mean, this, they're all in that book, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. But uh, when you look at the majority of the presidents in the uh, antebellum period, they didn't abuse power the way that presidents do now. And the shift, of course, occurs with William McKinley in 1896 with the modern presidency. We know Lincoln, of course, is, is, the, is the pivot point. But in terms of the modern presidency, it's really William McKinley and then uh, Teddy Roosevelt and all the progressive presidents of the 20th century. Lincoln, of course, set the stage for that with his actions during the war. And just a couple of weeks ago, I did a video on how Abraham Lincoln screwed up America. And there's so many ways he did so. But of course, abusing executive power and the way that he denied 
Self-determination is the biggest. So the presidency has become a real problem in American politics. We even, we even call the elections between the presidential elections the midterm elections because we have a laser beam focus on the presidency. But as we're seeing, as I talked about last week, you know, states are rediscovering federalism. States should be using federalism to their advantage. We know the federal courts are going to be a problem in that. And I know there are lawyers and potentially future judges that listen to this podcast. And so your job is going to be to rule from a federal position. What do I mean by that? Well, follow the original Constitution. Follow the original meaning of the 14th Amendment. Do those things. Because that will then create a situation where we have the legal structure in place, at least from that perspective, to try to have a real federal republic again. And that's that's the key to all of this. You know, we want I want Minnesota, for the people of Minnesota that want Minnesota to be far left, to be far left. I want California to be that way too, or Massachusetts. And I, again, I feel sorry for the conservatives in those states, so move, get out of it. And I know I had a, a listener email me and say, hey, um, you know, I live in Minnesota, and um, maybe it was a YouTube comment, I can't remember, but I live in Minnesota, and I'll tell you what this means. I was talking about hair discrimination, and we're trying to break off a part of Minnesota. Well, that sounds nice, uh, but you're going to have to have, of course, to create a new state congressional approval to do so, and it's not going to happen. Uh, if you want to join another state, well, Minnesota's going to have to agree to it, and I'm going to tell you right now they're not going to let you do it. So, you know, this is a difficult situation, but again, in a federal republic, you could vote with your feet. You could leave, and you could go somewhere else. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the next couple of decades. People are really going to start moving to areas that are low-tax states that have a lot more individual liberty. They're going to do it. Who are on red states. You're going to see red states become more red and blue states become more blue or bluer, redder and bluer. You're going to see that because people are going to start voting with their feet. California is actually seeing a population loss for the first time. And it's history, seeing a population loss. People are not, they're moving out of California. And I think you're going to start seeing that in some other blue states as well. And so that's going to have a dramatic impact on the Congress, of course, as California loses representatives and other states gain representatives. So that's going to be a big issue for these red states because they're going to have more power in the Congress. We're going to see it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, um, you know, people talk about, urban enclaves and these little you know these little blue areas in these red states what would happen if a red state left what about these blue people well they would just be part of the red state they would be in the minority they would lose elections it's as simple as that but as we've seen with the buckhead situation in atlanta if you paid attention to that buckhead was trying to secede from the city of atlanta and the governor a republican governor didn't want it to happen so it's not a slam dunk that even in your red states blue blue enclaves aren't going to have some power of course they would I think you could see the opposite, though, in the blue states. I think in, in blue states, the red enclaves, are, that's because the, the Democrats are much more brutal politically than the Republicans. They're going to abuse the red areas, without question. But I think Republicans are a little more open to uh, having some conciliatory measures with the blue areas in their states. So, look, in those states, I think blue people would be just fine. Blue state people, or, you know, blue enclave people would be just fine. In these, in these red enclaves. But let's get back to the presidency because we're now handicapping who's going to be the nominee for the 2024 election. And I've had some people ask me about this. We know, we'll start with the Republicans 
And I've mentioned this before on this program, but Trump, of course, has already said he's running. Nikki Haley doesn't have a shot at all. I think her, you know, her percentage would be about zero. Tim Scott of South Carolina, same thing, zero. Um, I think the only two people in the Republican side that are going to get the nomination would be either Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. Now, DeSantis has made a lot of political waves. He's got this new book out. Um, he has this law now in Florida that if you want to blog about the government, uh, you have to register with the state. Now, what's interesting about that particular bill, that's essentially a sedition law. And um, the states can do that if it doesn't violate the state constitution. Now, you can make a case it violates the state of Florida constitution for free speech, but it's not against federal law. So DeSantis essentially is dusting off a sedition law. Uh, do I think that's a good idea? No, I don't. In fact, I've said before on this program that I think Ron DeSantis would be a pretty bad president when it comes to, uh, you know, to uh, kind of heavy-handed dictatorial, dictatorial uh, positions. I think he would be just as bad, if not worse, than some other people that have been in the executive office. I think he's going to be a legislator-in-chief, and that would be a bad position, a bad look for the original presidency. DeSantis calls himself a Hamiltonian, and I think he would govern like that. Now, as a governor, he's fine. As a governor of the state of Florida, I think he, he does, for the people of Florida, a, a fine job. You know, Again, I could quibble with some of the things, whether that's a good idea or not. He's made a lot of headways in the culture war, a lot of, a lot of waves in the, in the culture war out there. Uh, you know, the, the attack on Disney, um, some of the other things that, of course, Florida trying to uh, stay open during the COVID lockdown. So he's done some things that, of course, have made some news. But I'm not so certain DeSantis would be anything other than a neocon hawk as a president. I think he would have a very aggressive foreign policy. I don't think that DeSantis would be necessarily against sending troops into the Ukraine, U.S. troops into the Ukraine, or in any major conflict in Europe, just like Biden. I mean, I think their foreign policies would be in lockstep. So I think DeSantis overall would be a dangerous establishment Republican president. Donald Trump, um, we already know what Trump is. Trump is also, uh, in some ways, a dangerous establishment Republican president. I mean, look, Trump could have tried to to uh, knock down Fauci earlier than he did. He could have just said, look, we're not doing this. We're not trying to institute any kind of lockdowns or shutdowns during the COVID problem. I think he was looking at that politically. It was an election year, and he didn't want to be called the guy that led to all these millions of deaths. So he's doing some things politically in 2020 because he wanted to win re-election. And the only reason, really, he didn't win re-election in 2020 was because of COVID. We know that COVID either won uh, was politically unpopular in the response to that. And of course, Trump was blamed for some of that, the economy and, of course, the lockdowns and everything else. Or two, the way that the election was carried out allowed for uh, highly circumspect situations to take place with the election in 2020. Um, so we, we do know that uh, Trump lost because of COVID. I think that, I mean, if you want to be conspiratorial, there was probably... Um, in that and say, well, I mean, was there, are there some correlations here, some things that don't make sense? Certainly there are. Uh, but uh, I think that Trump, uh, we know what he is. Uh, his foreign policy would be better than Ron DeSantis's foreign policy. I was on Tom Wood's show a little while back, and I made this case, that Trump would be better than DeSantis in foreign policy. And I think that overall, Trump would be the preferable candidate. Now, I don't think the Democrats are going to indict Trump anytime soon, because they want to see how the political uh, this is going to play out politically, right? If you indict Trump, 
you might make him more powerful for the Republicans. It's going to be a witch hunt. And they just want to get me. And so if you indict him now, and before he gets the nomination, I think that would be a problem. If you indict him after he gets the nomination, they can say, well, if you're going to vote for Trump, Trump you're going to vote for a criminal. So I, I think that in some ways Trump is going to avoid, uh, avoid any kind of um, indictment until after the Republican primary season. I think that Trump probably is going to secure the nomination. I just do. I think that he's going to do it. And I think Tucker Carlson, as I'm recording this and releasing all this January 6th footage, is a vindication of Trump. I think that you're going to see Trump really use that to his advantage. And I'm not so certain that anyone else is going to be able to, uh, to pass Trump in the Republican primary season. Now, does that mean Trump's going to be a great candidate? Well, we know that Trump has his own issues. Uh, Trump did some things that are impeachable, uh, without question. He was impeached for the wrong reasons. You could have looked at some other things that Trump should have been impeached for that would have been the right reasons. But foreign policy-wise, I think Trump would be better than DeSantis. Nikki Haley would be a disaster. Tim Scott would be a disaster. All these people. The only person that, I mean, look, I'm not a Trump fan. Um, I thought there were better candidates out there the last time around. I mean, I think that Rand Paul would still be better than Donald Trump in terms of the original executive but he's not going to get the nomination either. Zero percent chance, even if he decides to run, which I don't think he would. So that's on the Republican side. I think Donald Trump is still the front runner. Now, the Democrats is going to get a little more complicated. And Fox News actually put out a piece on this about you know handicapping the Democrat field. And the name they floated, and this is interesting because I've talked about this before on this show, the name they floated, of course, is Michelle Obama. What about Michelle Obama? I think it's a slam dunk. If Michelle Obama decides to run for president, you're going to see President Obama 2.0. There's no way that anybody on the Republican side beats her. Not one person. I don't think anybody would. And it's because of the cult of personality in America. And I think Michelle Obama, in running, could legitimately say that she's going to pull out more voters on the Democrat side than anybody else, even probably more than her husband pulled when he was elected twice. Uh, and I mean, look, I don't in 28 and 2012. I mean, I don't think there's any way that Michelle Obama loses to any Republican. There's no Republican that can beat her. And I think it's because of two things. I, I will say this right now. I think Michelle Obama eventually runs, whether she runs in 2024 or she runs in 2028 or 2032, she's going to run in the next three election cycles. And she will be the first woman president. Michelle, mark my words right now, in 2023, doesn't matter when Michelle Obama runs for office, she will be the first woman president. And you look at the, the hype around Michelle Obama, particularly from the elites. Uh, and one of the things that you know, um, I remember in conversations with people, and you know, Sandra Bullock, and this is, this is how Michelle Obama is perceived, Sandra Bullock, getting on national TV and saying she wants to download Michelle Obama. That is how many Americans are going to look at this particular situation if Michelle Obama decides to run. Michelle Obama is, and you go out, when anybody posts anything about Michelle Obama, you look at the comments on social media. She is a queen to a lot of these people. That's what they call her, the queen. And I think Michelle Obama would be perhaps the most dangerous president we've ever had in American history. Dangerous because there's a tremendous amount of cult of personality around her, more than Barack Obama, more than Barack Obama. And because now there will be a double situation with Obama, if you oppose her, well, then you're not only racist, you're also sexist. 
if you oppose Michelle, Michelle Obama. And she's a leftist. So you would be a, you, you wouldn't say that about a Republican running like Nikki Haley. You know, you could say, well, if you oppose her, you're racist and sexist. But it doesn't work for Republicans. It only works for Democrats. It only works for lefties, right? So if Michelle Obama is the nominee, uh, you are going to see that kind of, of course, argument made over and over again. The only reason Republicans are against her is because she's a black woman. That's it. Of course, it's not true. Uh, but I think Michelle Obama would be the most dangerous president because she would have almost unlimited power, particularly if the Republicans don't control the Congress. And so this is why I'm telling you right now, right now in 2023, before we get any of these people nominated, I don't care if you're on the left or the right, make sure you are beefing up your powers in your states because that is going to be the only block to any kind of excessive government, federal government power moving forward in, in U.S. history. I mean, it's that way right now, but it's going to be even worse with someone like Obama, who is going to have a tremendous amount of political capital, a tremendous amount of power. She is, I mean, look, unlimited power with her. I, I don't think there's any way that you could say that Michelle Obama wouldn't capitalize on uh, this kind of uh, call to personality and get her wish on just about anything. Uh, you think that uh, Joe Biden supports wokeism in uh, the federal government. You haven't seen anything until you get Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama is on record, right? Uh, I don't care if you don't know anything. You don't know, I know nothing about nothing is her phrase, but I still voted. Uh, you're going to see a real push for the lowest common denominator to have a role in this general government in any kind of way, right? I mean, that's going to be the case. It doesn't matter who you are, but there's going to be a real push for that. And uh, unlimited federal power over all kinds of things. It could be the economy, it could be social issues, it could be foreign policy. Michelle Obama, I don't think is going to be uh, a very good representative of the United States in diplomacy. But of course, she's going to have Barack out there. And of course, everyone loves Barack. And I think you would see Barack Obama appointed to some kind of uh, you know, government position by Michelle Obama. Uh, and Obama would be maybe a foreign policy arm of Barack Obama would be kind of the foreign policy person. And you would see a lot more Barack Obama, trust me. Obama, Barack Obama would be out campaigning all the time for things. I mean, you think it's bad now. Barack Obama would be out there in front a lot. Now, I don't think Barack Obama would have as much say. I think Michelle Obama really would. I think that that particular marriage and that situation, she would have the final say on things. But uh, Barack Obama would certainly be out there. So, um, look, Michelle Obama, I think if, if the Democrats really want to win, no matter when, it's kind of like their ace. It's their ace up their sleeve. They can win no matter, no matter when. It doesn't matter what, what election. Michelle Obama is their ace. Now, they've only got her twice. After Michelle Obama, there's nobody. The Democrats don't have anybody else that has that kind of political clout. There's no one. Uh, you look around the, the political scene, and there's nobody out there like her. Uh, maybe Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as she gets older, but Cortez has got a lot of political baggage that Michelle Obama does not have. This is the thing that makes Michelle Obama very dangerous. She's never been in any form of any level of government. She's never run for anything. She is completely viewed as an outsider, even though, of course, she was in the White House for eight years, but she is a complete political outsider. It's kind of like when George Wallace in Alabama ran his wife for governor and she won in a landslide. Well, because everyone knew that it was really George Wallace that was going to be governor. In this case, I think, again, Michelle Obama would be her own president. But 
She doesn't have the political baggage of, say, an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or someone else. She is the only Democrat, I think, that can really run as an outsider in this way and win. Gavin Newsom has a tremendous amount of political baggage. Kamala Harris certainly has a tremendous amount of political baggage. Stacey Abrams, I mean, you go down the list. These people, Stacey Abrams is now a several-time loser. She's not going to get me. Stacey Abrams' political career is really done. Michelle Obama has none of that. And so when you look at the, the Fox News story, which I'm not going to read because it's just a bunch of fluff, you look at the Fox News story, of course, they bring out other people. You know, what about Elizabeth Warren? Too much political baggage. Way too much political baggage. What about Bernie Sanders? Too old, too much political baggage. This is what I'm saying. If the Democrats ever want to win, they know they're going to win. They lock it up simply by nominating someone. It would be Michelle Obama. The Republicans don't have anybody like that. There's no one. Donald Trump was the outsider. He had never been elected to anything before. He was the outsider. Uh, There's no one else out there like Donald Trump. You have all these people that have been in government before, governors, senators, etc., etc., members of the House, people that have been in government, and they have political baggage. Trump didn't have any political baggage. He could just say what he wanted. He's rich. He could do what he wants. Those are the kind of people, in, in essence, that you need to find if you're looking for someone that can capitalize on popularity. And Americans, I think, are, are drawn to that. You know, Michelle Obama was in the... He is, she is establishment of establishment. She is everything. But she would bring cool back to the White House again. She's, she would bring all that back. And she is an outsider. Never, she's never had to make a government policy position uh, decision in her life. Not one. Uh, so, uh, handicapping the Democrats... Uh, I think that Joe Biden gets the nomination again. I know that the Democrats are looking for someone else. But I think if Joe Biden wants it uh, in particular, I think he's going to get it. I don't think the Obamas would get in the way. I think that the, the offer is probably very enticing to the Obamas. But I think they're going to wait till Joe Biden gets out of the way. Uh, I don't think Joe Biden's going to get out of the way in 2024. I think Biden is going to run again. Uh, I don't think that... Um, the Democrats are going to have, I mean, we know Marianne Williamson has already said she's running against Joe Biden and probably, uh, you know, RFK Jr. has talked about it. They're not going to get, they're not going to make any headway. But I think Biden is going to run again. He's done some things here recently that he's trying to kind of move back to the centrist Joe Biden, like saying we need to protect the police, the defund the police thing was stupid. We need to go back to that. I think Biden is going to try to triangulate. He's going to try to pull a page out of Bill Clinton and some other you know, kind of uh, at least appear uh, and appear like some of these Democrats, these centrist Democrats who weren't really centrist, but that's what the impression was. He's going to try to pull a page out of their playbook and move to the center a little bit in the next year or so, uh, particularly the next few months, I think, on some things. And you're going to see Joe Biden really ramp up his efforts to run again. Joe Biden always wanted to be president, and it would be embarrassing to Joe Biden and his ego to only be elected once. He wants to be a two-term president. He wants to have that on his tombstone. Here lies President Joe Biden. Because, I mean, let's be frank, uh, he's probably got less than, he's definitely got less than 20 years left. Um, So he's looking at the end game for his life. How is he going to be remembered, his legacy? And being a two-term president, we'd be better than a one-term president, booted out of the way because you got too old. I don't think Joe Biden thinks he's too old. I don't think that at all. I think Joe Biden uh, believes he is fit enough to run, that he's in good enough shape to run, that it doesn't really matter, that he's 
doing what he wants to do. And of course, he knows that he doesn't write a single word of his speeches. He doesn't do any of that. Uh, Joe Biden simply wanted to be president. He wanted to have that kind of power and authority and wanted to have that for his legacy. He has been a career politician. Joe Biden has done nothing else in his life, really at all, except be in politics. And so when you do that your entire life, you want to cap that off with a two-term presidency and ride out in the sunset. Uh, and perhaps even, you know, if he gets old and frail and everything else, you know, uh, if he, if he uh, passes away while he's in office because of age, well, I mean, that would be something else. So the Democrats, I think, are really going to be, the person I think they would dump before Joe Biden would be Kamala Harris. They know she is a major political liability. Nobody likes Kamala Harris. When she was nominated, when she was selected to be the vice presidential nominee, she had 0% in the Democrat primaries. The Democrat primaries, 0%. I think the, they're probably going to look to throw her over, overboard more than anyone else. Kamala Harris is the one that I think should be worried about the future and where she stands in this ticket. I don't think Kamala Harris is, gonna, is going to come out of 2024 as the vice presidential nominee if Joe Biden decides to uh, to run again. Um, could be wrong about that, but I think that they would be looking for someone else. Now, the real threat to the Democrats, of course, is that they do that. They can't pick someone like Gavin Newsom. they got to pick someone else. And who could that be? Well, why not Michelle Obama? You set yourself up for the next, tw uh, what, you know, 12 years? of Democrat control of the executive office. You put Michelle Obama as vice president. She decides to be vice president. I think that's more realistic than Michelle Obama deciding to run right now. I think Michelle Obama as vice president, because Joe Biden is perhaps, uh, you know, well, he's got the age issue, you know, what could happen with Joe Biden. But if you got the backup, you've got Michelle Obama right there. That's who the Democrats really want anyways. They don't want Kamala Harris. They want Michelle Obama. So I think Michelle Obama as vice president makes much more sense than Michelle Obama coming out to run against Joe Biden as president. If that's going to be the case, if she's going to run for president on her own from the beginning, I think you're looking at the next election cycle, 2028. But certainly uh, Michelle Obama as vice president, again, they do that, they're not going to lose. I don't think Donald Trump wins in 2024 if Michelle Obama's on the ticket in any way. Um, I think he could win with Biden and Harris, but I don't think he can win with Biden and Obama. Um, I think it would be uh, almost a, a, a shoe-in that Biden gets another term because, again, he would just say, look, if, I, if I, something happens to me, we've got, we've got the Obamas backing me up. Here they are, right here, the Obamas. You see? So I think that's more a more realistic uh, situation than uh, Joe Biden not running and the Obamas running. Uh, far, far more realistic. Now, the Democrats, so I think there could be a, a lot of people inside the Democrat Party that don't like that. People like Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris and others. But they don't matter. The Obamas matter. They are, to the left, American royalty, and their call to personality would win the day. All right, so that's my prediction. My prediction is Trump gets the nomination. Not so certain who he's going to pick as a, or who they're going, the Republicans are going to pick as a vice president. But I can almost guarantee you that Joe Biden is going to run again. And I think the real wild card is going to be Michelle Obama. I can see it. I can certainly see Michelle Obama being selected as a vice presidential nominee. All right. See you tomorrow on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. Mm -hmm.